Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas, Makalua, the main team, Mega Bears fan. With guest co-hosts, Brimbeck. Three, two, one. Shiny? Maybe shiny? Uh Uh-oh. Hello, internets, and welcome to Polycast, episode 331, a podcast dedicated to civilization and civilization strategy. I am one of your regular hosts, Mega Bears fan, along with Canis Albinus. Uh, I made it, even though I wasn't supposed to be here today, at least. Makalua. I didn't have to delay very much for coffee. And guest host, Grimvek. Hello again. For those who have not listened to the podcast, or haven't had, been here when he's been on the podcast, or this is the guy with all the nukes. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe not all of them. Well, a lot of them. That's true. <laughs> the most recent large purveyor of such. Yes. straight into the first look for the last civilization that we're going to get in Gathering Storm, and that is Phoenicia. Phoenicia is led by Dido, who is has the unique ability founder of Carthage. They can move their capital to any city with a Kothon, and it's a unique project within that city. It unlocks an additional trade route capacity and has the construction of government plaza with subsequent government buildings, increased production toward those buildings. Did the streams or announcements at all cover what the purpose of moving the capital would be? Loyalty related? Yeah, and some uh, policy cards as well. that You you, you can use uh, them to boost uh, yields in cities that are not in your capital's continent. So you can put your capital somewhere in the, well, elsewhere and have that bonus in the majority of your other cities. That falls okay, but... under the falls under the, the unique ability, Mediterranean Colonies. Unlocks with a writing Eureka at the start of the game. Coastal cities founded by Phoenicia on the same continent as the capital are one hundred percent loyal. So that's what the addition what the usefulness of that is. Right. And I assume but... this refers to the movable capital, not just the original capital, which is usually what capital means. The movable capital, yes. And also, uh, yes, did go ahead. they clarify did they also clarify whether moving the capital like qualifies as moving the original capital? So for yes, domination it, yes. victory purposes? Yes, it's entirely, it's a complete move of the capital in, and it, it counts for, the, for domination victory as well. Ah, that is a novel mechanic. You can even move it when the original capital is under siege. Wow. Necessary. Okay, so Carthage anti-domination strategy is just play... <laughs> Keep just away with your, with your capital. Ca- yeah, just play keep away with your capital. It's like a hot potato. Now my capital's here. Now it's not. Where will it be next? I want to test that 100% loyalty thing about the same continent, but coastal cities right next to a different AI and see if it works. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. It well, does. They showed that in the stream. stream. Oh, did they? Oh. Oh, yeah. I'm sure moving the capital to some, like, border city is going to be, you know, in order to flip someone else's cities is going to be one of the, its most popular uses. That and probably the playing keep away against uh, someone else's domination strategy. Uh, mm-hmm. You just thought this was my capital. Yeah. <laughs> it's not well, even my final form. Honestly, if, you, if you're at the point of losing your capital, 
that's not gonna save you. you you're already pretty much losing the game at that point. Oh, I can totally see a lot of complaints about Kingmakers because of stuff like this. Like, just the oh. Venetian player is just skipping their capital around, and then some other player comes up and, like, wins a science victory or something like that because the domination player couldn't actually get that last capital. I can totally <laughs> see something like that happening. Yeah. As I understand it, the cost of the project associated with moving the capital is not insignificant. So it's not, like, a, a free movement. It You have to build something that's almost the price of a wander or something. Yeah, you have to build I, a unique district as well first. Right, oh, yeah. but it's you an early game district, so yeah, you're, you're going to have that in most of your coastal cities, probably. Yeah. In, addition to, yeah, in addition to the loyal, city loyalty, Mediterranean colonies, their unique ability also includes settlers have additional movement and sight range while embarked and ignore additional movement costs associated with embarking and disembarking. Their unique district is the Kothan, which we've mentioned already. It's a naval district that replaces the harbor, is cheaper to build, must be on a coast or a lake adjacent to land, obviously. It increases production toward naval units and settlers within the city. All naval cities within the city's borders heal completely in one turn. Ooh, quick heal for the fleet during a battle. The, the most interesting thing about this, I think, is the 50% bonus to settlers. Yeah. Which means with the correct building and card, you can get one, 150% bonus production to settlers. You can expand very fast with Phoenicia. The problem is you have to get to the harbor first, which is usually late classical era. Yeah, but you have to prioritize when you're playing Carthage. That's true. Uh, well, for Phoenicia. I'm sorry, it's not the five. It's, it's basically really... Carthage. It would be Carthage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this the the Kothan's going to come online around the same time as you know the colonization policy and the second tier promotions for Magnus, you know, which are geared towards producing yeah. settlers anyway. So it, it's going to be right around the time where you're probably going to be doing mass settler spam and settling four, five, six cities, chopping to get more settlers. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. especially if you're chopping. Also, their unique unit is the Byreem. It's an ancient era unit replacing the galley, has increased combat strength and movement. Friendly trader units are immune to being plundered on water tile if within four tiles of a Byream. Oh, you could just post them along a route, you know, and they could be yeah. covered from end to end. I'm not very enthusiastic about that unit. It's that pretty underwhelming. Very, that'll be a very helpful ability until you upgrade them all and they lose that ability. <laughs> yeah. But then again, I don't think this new expansion is adding any medieval naval units other than I think like the Ottoman unique privateer unit thingy. So you're going to have your Byreams probably for a really long time. Yeah, they're strong, but it's still a melee naval unit. Yeah. There's limited but, utility. Yeah, and I mean, like, honestly, your the biggest threat to your seagoing trade routes is going to be barbarians because, you know, how often does the AI even bother building naval units unless it's like the Vikings or whatever? So this would have been such a more useful ability if it was on a caravel unit rather than a galley replacement. I don't know about that. I played a... I was trying to get the Elcano's Revenge achievement recently and even... I've played it on Settler after failing five times on King because the AIs always were circumnavigating the globe first. And even on Settler... America, at least, was able to have galleys and car caravels out at the same time I was. And I wasn't being slow, so... Mm. 
Yeah, maybe the uh, AIs will be more aggressive about building navies. I think the problem is they build like one or two naval units and think that's enough. Yeah, that's been my experience. And I mean, it just takes so long early game to get those naval units anywhere where they're even remotely useful. So yeah, I, I also see that this is, it's a very cool ability, but I'm skeptical of how much utility it's actually going to have. Because like I said, the barbarians don't have much in the way of naval threat at that time period. And the other civs, I rarely see them building substantial enough navies that they'll be threatening maybe you just don't upgrade your byremes right away and you just let them hang around until someone finally does come along and just sinks them all <laughs> because be uh, to, uh, one of the interesting things is once you do research what is it cartography like all your naval units can enter oceans so your byremes would be able to go through oceans along with your trade routes at that point yes yeah it makes them a bit more useful at that point even if they're destroyed easily. I'm trying to remember what the Phoenicia stream also set off, because there were some other things they talked about. Oh, Dido's voice actress in Civ Five was the same as in Civ Six because ancient Canaanite is a very hard religion to find speakers for. Well, there's something you've said about having a uh, stable employment. Yeah. <laughs> Job security. I think the irony is that if Rome and phoenicia are in the same game rome becomes inverted color because they're so close to each other oh yeah so that they were yellow it was weird yeah very <laughs> yellow rome that 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 is gonna be strange yeah this whole color swapping thing seems kind of meh meh it's gonna be weird it's gonna be hard to recognize certain civs sometimes like i i'm just imagining like seeing somebody's borders and being like who the heck is that or thinking it's somebody it's not like, oh, that looks like Montezuma. I'm not going to go that way. And like, it turns out it was Gandhi. I may or may not have declared on Australia in a game because I thought they were the Zulu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. they kind of have similar scheme. And Canada is in the, in the expansion has the colors Japan has now. It's white and red. Oh, dear. We're all going to run up to the Japanese borders and think it's Canada. I, I think it'll the, be all polite. I don't know what's Japan new color. All I know is when Canada is on alternate units, uh, alternate color, they're pink. Oh. <laughs> well, that'll be distinct. It's like a salmon pink, but it's still a pink. In the theme, there was also a large discussion referring to the Hymn of Nikal, which was the first composed, arranged piece of music that we have a firm record of. Ooh. It was used as Carthage and Babylon's themes in Civ Five, as well as Gilgamesh in Civ Six. Ancient, yeah, ancient music. Sort of like the epitaph of Sekios, which is the Greek song, which is about as old as well. Oh, I think you forgot something about, or you misspoke about uh, the bonus for Phoenicia. The bonus trade route is from the government plaza building. Oh, it's from the government plaza. Okay. Uh, the buildings you build oh, in the, the buildings. Oh, you get you get each... one for each building. Okay. Yeah, oh. each one gives you a. a I bonus was just trade reading route. what was written, so apparently it was written wrong. Yeah, plus one trade route capacity for each government plaza building and the govern and the government plaza district. So district gives one as well. That's like four free trade routes over the course of the game. That's pretty good. But you don't get the unit for free. It just increases there's, capacity. There's right? a new so there's a new tier of government though. So yeah. does those give a new building as well? I oh. don't know if we've seen that or not. Yeah. I would assume they don't because every other district has a limit to three buildings. Oh, maybe so. It's pretty late game anyway. Okay, I think we can move on to the next topic. Which is? Eleanor, that's what. A little. <laughs> no, I was going to make a joke about that, but never mind. But she's a. Well, it depends on when you get the French one or the uh, English version of Eleanor, which is different. We haven't had. We've had anything quite like that with a sieve before. They made a point of saying it's the first time what the same leader can lead diff two different sieves in the history of the franchise. The French one is better. 
The French one looks like Rapunzel. I think it, it synergizes more with the French bonuses. I would agree. But they're but not particularly mean... bad for either side. Yeah, that's true. But the well, mid-game I... wonders are... You have a lot of cultural ones where you can put great works. I was trying to find the list of her stuff, but... <laughs> well, she only has one thing, because the other thing is the civilization. Civilization? Oh, okay. That's why I was so confused. Uh, yeah, so unique ability, Court of Love. Great works in her cities each cause a loss of loyalty per turn in nearby foreign cities. And the city that leaves another civilization due to a loss of loyalty and is currently receiving the most loyalty per turn from Eleanor skips the free city step and instantly joins her civ. I don't want her on my borders. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like that would have synergized really nice with England's original ability, unless that was... Which is probably why they took it out. So yeah. Strong. yeah. I think the original English one was the British Museum or whatever, which yeah. was for crazy culture Six bonuses. Slots. For Six museums. slots yeah. automatically themed. Well, Sweden like that. has that now, so... Oh, okay. So at least it's still in the game. They just gave it to Sweden instead. Yeah, they added a lot of cultural civilization. I think for Sweden, it's only with their unique building, though, right? Or is it all... Museums. It's all buildings with three or more slots and wonders with two or more slots. Oh, right, okay. Which would count all the archaeological and art museums. Yes. Yep. It's minus one loyalty per great work within nine tiles. It's a, a range of nine tiles, and it's counted from the city center, not the tile was the, where the theater district or wonder is uh, placed. That's helpful. That's probably something that somebody would have asked. Yeah, because if you're cause if you're going to have her squished up on your borders, that's going to be rough. Instead of building encampments on the border, I'm just going to build cultural sites, and well, I'm just going to take all the cities myself. <laughs> We're all going to be oh crap, it's Eleanor! Quick, build a theater district. <laughs> yeah, that unless would... you're Venetia, and then you're like, oh, I'll just put my capital there. That that wouldn't help if you build a theater district. Well, then doesn't I have give, co- doesn't give you loyalty. No, 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 but it gives me more culture to fight back her culture if that makes sense yeah, you but might also does... need a what is it the entertainment building to just run bread and circuses yeah that's synergizing yeah more. and send spies to lower loyalty <laughs> and rock bands because apparently there's a rock band they can lower loyalty by 50 <laughs> in one shot that's kind of the next topic though well i don't think <laughs> Eleanor is very brief on this topic. It's like, yeah, she has this, and yeah, it just depends on whether you're France or England, which, how you play her, I guess. I didn't actually get a chance to watch the stream for that one, so I don't really They were playing England. They were playing England, and we saw them flip uh, an entire sieve of cities. Nice. So you can't flip a capital. With that, it was uh, the Ottomans that were flipped. That's got to hurt for them. You can take it militarily, but they can't hold it. Yeah, that's going to be fun when you actually have to play against her as an AI and you have to go through uh, how you're just going to have to burn cities to get through to the capital. Yeah, we already do that. <laughs> well, yeah, but I know. But sometimes you're able to keep a city or two, but in this case you can't at all because her loyalty pressure is going to be so bad. Oh, yeah, because we usually let them flip into free cities because at least it doesn't exert pressure, but you can't against her because they would flip back to her uh-huh. uh, immediately. Oh, man, that's going to be annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I just realized yeah, I... that. Uh-huh. I wasn't thinking. Oh, boy. Yeah, because usually you leave a trail of free cities behind you because you don't care. Yeah. No, you can't. And then you take them on your way back. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, when you can't hold it, anyway. Well, I guess one thing that you could maybe try doing... It, well, actually, I don't know. You wouldn't be able to just give it to another Civ, would you? Because you could annex it, right? And then instead of letting it be a free city... And then they would still get loyalty else, pressure. Right? They would yeah, get they... loyalty pressure. 
Yeah, it's just like they... that flips it, so it doesn't matter if he's not at war with her. Yeah. Unless you have a cultural alliance that would protect it, but other than that, and you can only give out one of those. Unless you're the Ottomans, be... then you can give out two. <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't be very useful against Phoenicia, though. Nope, she's immune to that ability. All coastal cities are anyway. Well, if you're Phoenicia, why do you have any non-coastal cities? Well, sometimes you have to grab stuff in land. You can't just let people put cities in the middle of your uh, land just because there's no water access. Yeah, with the new district mechanics, the uh, definition of coastal city is a little fuzzy. Even though yeah. I'm, assuming they, I'm assuming they mean city where the city center is on the coast, because that's been how you define yes. coastal city in Civ 6 so far. But, you know, just having it one or two tiles inland means you can still build the harbor district, which kind of sort of makes it a functionally a coastal city. So, but I assume that's not what they mean when they talk about, you know, coastal cities for Phoenicia's abilities. So I assume the yeah. city center has to be on the coast. Even if they're vulnerable to loyalty, the coastal city would protect them. But yeah. Sure. Ideally, anyway. So, should we move on to the next topic? Mm -hmm. Okay, Phil is not here today, so I will introduce this one. There was a surprise video about halfway between the two announcements of leaders, and it was a new features explained video. It kind of went through all the various minor and major changes about how things work. Uh, we got some information about later era governments government mostly they're all they're like five wildcard slots each so you can do oh. basically whatever you want like for instance digital democracy is one military one economic two diplomatic five wildcard compared to corporate libertarianism which is two military one economic one diplomatic five wildcard and the last one is synthetic techno technolo technocracy. This is going to be my Mackie philosophical moment. <laughs> but the the big things that they talked about were the stuff that we've all talked about before. Some of the stuff we didn't know about, there's the Devil's Tower, which is a new natural wonder that we finally get to see. We also see what the new space race victory is because it changes. It's we've talked. Have we talked about how it changed? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Yeah. Um, basically, the way it works is you get the satellite launch, which is the same as before, and the moon launch, which is the same as before. But now the Mars mission is a single a single project, and we don't know if it has any specific bonus attached to it like the first two. But after the Mars project, you have to send an exoplanet ship, which takes 50 turns to get to the planet. And you can change how it gets there based on orbital lasers that you build on the planet and in orbit around the planet, basically. So they're kind of going with more of the Civ Four approach, right? Where there's that buffer period where other civs can come and knock you out before you win the space race yes looks like it yeah. without any additional stuff the time it takes to get to the exoplanet it's called the exoplanet mission it takes 50 turns to get there and each time you build you build the the ground-based laser the orbital based laser it makes it faster each turn and the international space station project also increases the speed at which it travels uh, that's basically what that thing is for now and you can apparently build a space station too if you didn't get the international one which is a pro yeah, it takes 30 aluminum. So you'd have to build up aluminum for a few turns by the before way, you can even ground, try it. By the way, a ground-based laser is stupid. You need to you need it to be in orbit. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, that's not going to get through the atmosphere very well. Well, and even if it would, half the time it would be pointing in the wrong direction. And in fact, most yeah. of the time yes. it would not be pointing directly at the thing that it's supposed to be pointing at anyway. Yeah, because newsflash, Earth moves. No, 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 this is Civ. The Earth is flat in Civ. 
What? It's flat. It has four corners. No, no, it's cylindrical. Yeah. That's true. You're right. It is cylindrical. It is clearly a flat projection, but it's not actually. <laughs> no, we're just living on the map in the middle of a giant ocean on a ring world. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, maybe. Anyway, it's it's a detail. It doesn't matter much. But yeah, Science Victory looks to be longer now. Well, it has well to we be. don't have the things that most to do, more to. Well, well, the game is supposed to be longer with the new government tiers and era, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, kind of meh on the idea of the late game being longer. I always want the early game to last longer than it does. Oh. I think it's just going to end up that the game are going to finish in cult- cultural victory earlier because if they don't change cultural victory, it would be way easier to get. Yeah, unless they moved some of the civics or whatever to later. Yeah. So you don't get all those like 100% bonuses and things like that. Or I guess there could be like other things where maybe it's just a lot harder to get themed museums. Maybe. Like some change there with like how the relics or whatever are distributed. Yeah, and then you could get a religious victory even earlier. A yeah. domination one. Right, if Phoenicia's not in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, one of the things that I always wished it was I wish I could play the first half of the game on like Epic and then the second half of the game on Standard. So pro- prolonging yeah, should be a scaling speed. Yeah, prolonging the end of the game is like very meh with me. I'd have rather seen them like have a Stone Age instead of a Future Age, or maybe just more text per era. Yeah, more text per era, or slow down the rate of tech progression earlier in the game because i feel like the early game is where all the fun stuff is all the interesting decisions and it just blows by so fast like for me it's always the medieval era it goes by in the snap of a fingers if if you want to if you want to win or be strong you have to set up your saving that you you make your decision on what you want to do in the early game yeah after that it's just continuing on what you've already decided Oh, we mentioned uh, rock bands earlier. The way rock bands work is you... I don't know how you build them. I think you build them or you buy them with faith. One buy or the them other. with faith. And they basically work like great musicians in the old, in Civ Five, where you could go on tour. Each, they have a group of promotions they can take. I think there's 11 different promotions that give them specific abilities and a specific place that they want to perform. And there's a random chance based on how well they do and what their album sales are. And there's also a chance that they will just retire after their most recent mm-hmm. performance. And based on what the what their effect is, they can, I think it was Mackie said, they can reduce a lot of loyalty. They can convert you to a religion that doesn't exist anymore. Because one of the achievements was revealed to be that a rock band converts a religion, a city to, a, to your religion that has no following cities i'm sure yeah. if Phil were here he would just love all of these random chances of <laughs> things yeah because we all know that's his favorite feature of any strategy game <laughs> i'm not particularly yeah. happy with it myself but it's interesting all, at least. Yeah, all the promotion are a different type of rock it's yeah. glam rock religious rock uh, classical rock and stuff like that grunge rock send queen Maybe. on tour or everyone converts to zoroastrianism <laughs> <laughs> little pretentious to say that your brand new band that you just formed is performing this new type of rock called classic rock. Well, now you don't know it's a new band you just formed. You you hired somebody. Uh, I don't exactly remember the name of all the promotions. It might also just be a cover I remember glam rock. Yeah. It's a tribute band. Do we need more of those? I guess. (laughs) Got a lot of musicians that need jobs. I'm sure there's other stuff that we're not remembering. Hmm. There's a great screenshot of the giant death robots. Yes. Oh, yeah, those are back in the game. Each technology in the later era adds 
specific, I don't know if they're promotions, but they're enhancements that change its ability. Like there's one that allows it to jump over mountains. There's one that allows it to float over water. It's kind of terrifying Ooh. and also really funny because they look like Japanese mecha. <laughs> they do look a little Pacific Rimish, yeah. Yeah, they have a very good design. Well, it's not an improvement, but there was the Devil's Tower and Natural Wonder. And when I saw that screenshot, I automatically started humming the Close Encounters theme. <laughs> Like, do I get extra science out of this because aliens come say hi? I don't know if we know what it does yet. Better be. But I, I kind of feel like science and alien conspiracies is not the same thing. It's, it's <laughs> well, like a it's like a parody of science almost. Yeah, but but in this in this in this well, in the particular case in that movie, it really was aliens. They weren't just imagining it. That's true. Right, you're the introducer on this one, Grim. All oh, right, um, it's a post on the forum talking about AI. Uh, I saw the article about uh, the Google AI crushing crushing Pro on StarCraft and wondering how this AI exists and is able to beat programmer in an RTS game involving an infinite number of possibilities and choices that have to be made every nanosecond when the same AI is unable to play a turn-based uh, game involving a smaller number of choices on a less compressed timetable. Well, I think, <laughs> I think, that's, I think, I think that is kind of silly because the Google AI is a neural network. It's the closest thing we have to actual AI right now. It's, I mean, it's a very advanced it's very something that's very advanced technologically, and and the Civ AI is a pretty much a decision tree for a computer to make. It, it has nothing to do with the Google AI. You can't even compare them. And, and StarCraft versus Civ, StarCraft has a set number of units for each side, and so it's a very it's a limited scope of decisions it has to go through. So yeah, it's easier to run through that tree than in Civ. That's what I was going to say, too. I, I take issue with this idea that StarCraft is an infinitely more complex game than a turn-based strategy. Because, I mean, you're talking about a static map, right? With the bases being in one specific place. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said, finite number of units. And then I assume StarCraft probably also has a lot of, like, optimal strategy kind of things where you would just tell the AI to do that. And uh, StarCraft is lots of rock, paper, scissors. Pretty much you have units that counter uh, each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need, to, you need to know what the opponent is building and building a counter to it, and adapt in fun depending on what the other is, how the other is adapting to you. Yeah. The other thing is, DeepMind routinely runs a hundred some million dollars in the red every year. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the <laughs> it's the best thing we have in the AI uh, programming thing. Uh, how can you even compare it to Civ Six AI? I think what You're, they yeah. were what they were suggesting was why can't the neural network AI perform as well as on a TBS as it can on an RTS. It, it might, but it's not as impressive. Yeah. Well, they haven't, I mean, they didn't try it yet. So, yeah. I mean, they're beating chess. Chess is a turn-based game. Yeah, and chess is known by everyone. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of publicity. Beating people on StarCraft, pro player on StarCraft, is just more impressive than beating pro player on Civ Six. Yeah, if, if Civ Six were a more popular game, then it would have been playing Civ instead of StarCraft. Yeah. 
that's that's what it comes down to. You can make an AI play thousands of games of Civ and learn from it. Oh yeah, I'm sure a NASA computer would be very good at Civ. And I think one of the reasons the original posters thinking StarCraft is so much more complicated, it's not really, it's just it it's RTS versus TBS because you're having to make split-second decisions as soon as you see things in StarCraft, whereas Civ, you have time to sit there and think and consider your consequences down the road. Where StarCraft, you just have to go, 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 and eat a loss if you have to. Right. But how often is the game state changing in StarCraft versus how often is the game state changing in Civ? I mean, every time a new city gets plopped in Civ, the game state is changing. That's not really the case in StarCraft. Yeah. Well, technically in StarCraft, the game state changes every time a new unit is produced. Yeah. Well, but I mean, yeah, but it, that would be the same case in Civ as well. Yeah, but you have less units in Civ. Yeah, well, but every time, that, matter, that matter. Every time anything happens to the map, the game state would change. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, the AI apparently beat Pro Player when it had perfect awareness of everything it could see. Not the whole map, just everything it could see. And it was, when it was restricted to only one screen of being able to see one screen at a time, at a time instead of... Everything you could see, what well, it performed less good. And just it was, to clarify, uh, the were able to beat it. Yeah, and just to clarify, you're saying that it still could not see what was in the fog of war. Yes, but it, it could, could only see everything see the, yeah. that was able to be see, uh, simultan- seen <clears throat> simultaneously. So, so it's, it's they... not, apparently not very good at using its mini map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Maybe. It doesn't do like a human player does and set a bunch of places on hotkeys to go blink, 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 blink. Oh, it doesn't know? need that. Not yet. Not until it learns how to do that. Yeah. It doesn't need it's, still an, it's still an AI. It sends keys instantly, so it doesn't need to. Yeah. But yeah, I found, I f- yeah, I found the still kind of silly that someone was wondering why Civ 6 was worse than Google its AI. Well, yes. well I mean, hey, if you want to buy a billion-dollar supercomputer and run a video game on it, then, you know, be my guest. You'll probably get yeah. pretty good AI performance. Yeah, that's the difference. You were talking about a neural net with a multi-computer network versus your desktop. Of right, course yeah. the AI is going to be different. It doesn't have – it's like a baby versus a full-grown adult. Let's be fair. The things that are in Civ that that are the computer players, they're not AIs. They're not even close. Yeah, no. Right. We, they're scripts. We call yeah. them AIs for shorthand, but it's just yeah, running through a script. They don't even behave like AIs. They don't learn. They don't, they're not intelligent. I mean, and there's games like, you know, sports games like Madden, for instance, doesn't even call its AI opponent an AI. It calls it playing against the CPU. So it yeah. doesn't even pretend that it's an AI yeah. in, like the, in the actual text of the game. I don't yeah, think it's just so. shorthand. I don't think the Civ text says that either. Uh, no, I think in the, in the menu when you're setting up a, a game, it says... Computer, not AI. Says, oh, does it say computer? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Well, because one day when the AI is created, they can't see us using the name wrong. And this us. is why this is why I already say please and thank you to elevators and self checkout machines. Just to hedge <laughs> my bets. If I ever have to ask Google Assistant for something, thank you. Yeah, and every now and then I'll just say Alexa, thank you. <laughs> just nice to hedge future my future AI overlords. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, why don't we take this discussion and maybe extend it out a little bit and think. What is the the what are the computational differences between a RTS and a TBS for an AI? Mm-hmm. I also do want to point out that Civ does have a mode where you can play simultaneous turns, in which case you would be reacting in real time to the things that the other players and CPUs are doing. Yeah, yeah but you would only react to the movement of units, not yeah. 
Because uh, everything else you can't see, the, what they're building. You only see it the next turn. The problem is, with that kind of system, is if you've ever seen the original Endless Space, real-time doesn't actually mean real-time, because what ends up happening is the AI makes all of its moves, and it bogs down the system such that it won't take your inputs because it's too busy computing the AI inputs. So yeah, it's basically way turn-based. I, I played the first Endless Space. I don't remember it being even pretending to be in real time. I'm pretty sure there was an end turn button. Well, yes, it's 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 a turn based game, but on each turn, the AI takes his turn while you take yours. Oh, right. Simultane. Okay, simultaneous turn. Yeah. Gotcha. I played other games. I remember on back on Windows 98, I had a Star Trek: Birth of the Federation, which it was just a Star Trek reskin of Master of Orion. And the way that game worked was all of the turns happened simultaneously during the processing. So you you queued up all of your movements and actions. But nothing actually happened until you hit end turn, and then everything happened simultaneously. Yeah. Mm. There's a new game called I'm Not a Monster that does it that way, although it's more like XCOM. Yeah, that's why you don't have insight into what the AI does, and you're more of a equal. The problem with that so is speak. sometimes you shoot at something that's already moved away. Yeah, that was a big problem in that uh, Star Trek game that I talked about. Like, I'd send my fleet to go attack the other fleet, and then that fleet wouldn't be there. You know, it would move away at the same time my fleet moved to it, and then you just play this constant circling around each other for like turn after turn after turn. It was a huge pain in the end. Well, we've run out of topics, so let's pull one out of the bag. Does everybody have a link to the Too Many Diplomatic Currencies link? Oh, yes. Yeah, I saw that. Okay, so this thread was added by A Clue Without in Civ Fanatics. And he was saying there are a lot of game systems in Civ Six, especially with Gathering Storm, that seem to deal with the same issue, but they are all independent from each other. Like, you've got Envoys, and you've got Diplomatic Capital now, and you've got Grievances, and let's see, what else does he list here? And good old gold. Gold. Uh, Spies, alliance governors. points, warmonger points, war weariness. I think the warmonger points are going away and being replaced with the grievances. So. Yes. Yeah. Uh, diplomatic modifiers, diplomatic status. And he makes the claim that all of this stuff is too rigid and it causes too much weird stuff to happen because it doesn't allow for freeform diplomacy. To wit, I say, uh, how else are you going to model that because i could uh ai's or quote-unquote ai's game scripts human players are always going to be defined within a certain set of limits i could definitely see that there would be some room for condensing some of these things like i could maybe see that instead of having envoys maybe you spend the new diplomatic favor points Mm. to you know buy relationships with cities city states i could see maybe some condensations like that happening but yeah, you you definitely have to have like, you know, some of these things be separate things because otherwise the AI just flat out wouldn't work. You need to remember also that Civ is a game, and you need to introduce the, the, the thing one after another, turn after turn. You can't just dump it on the player in one in one sitting. Yeah, it was yeah, mentioned. Always, in... Go ahead. As I was just gonna say, that's always been one of the good things about Civ is that it introduces its mechanics gradually over the course of the early game, as opposed to something like. 
Europa Universalis, where you boot up the game and there are <laughs> and you're lost. There are immediately numbers <laughs> flashing all over the place, and like you have battles in progress and diplomatic messages waiting for you, and you're like, "What the heck is happening?" You Even worse need, than of Iron. You only need ten different uh, counters for points, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bird mana, paper mana, sword mana. Uh huh. Also, infinity mana for absolutism and. What else? Horn meta for a morale. There's just so many different things. It's it's literally a spreadsheet game with a cool interface. But that's beside the point. I kind of feel like it's better the way it is now because at least if you if you merged the city state and the computer player fu- functions together, and you had envoys controlled by diplomatic favor, it would be difficult to to manage that properly. Or more difficult than it would need to be because the diplomatic favor was really designed for the World Congress. And the World Congress doesn't have anything to do with city-states as far as we know. Well, true. And and I wasn't talking about, like, changing the systems as they are. I was just saying, like, I could see a different system where the city-state envoys are effectively bought by diplomatic favor or some equivalent currency. Just trying to think how that would work. I feel like that's it's not really complicated to say these are the num- these are the things you get for city states and these are the things you get for the World Congress. That doesn't seem con- complex to me. It would be complex if you had one thing that you had to keep track of in both sides. If that makes any sense. Or different currencies both feeding into city states, for instance. Yeah, that would be worse. If if both envoys and diplomatic favor went into city states, then it'd be like, well, what's going on here? And not in the same way that if you were used to use gold or faith to buy a great people, because that's just two different currencies. They don't actually interact with each other. Right. Speaking of, the great people screen is still not good. That still isn't, doesn't tell you, uh, you know, how many turns you get the great people. Come on. Or even how many points you're generating per turn. Yeah, you have to hover over it to get that. And you have to, to make the calculation to know in how many turns you get it. Does the hover tool even tell you how many you're getting per turn? I've always yes, asked, yes, it does, but you have to hover over your name. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it doesn't tell you in how many turns you get it. You have to calculate to make the calculation yourself. I mean, it's not hard, but yeah. why? Come on! Well, I mean, there are the, the city projects that, you know, will speed that up, but, like, I mean, still, you can count, right? And then still make an estimation. Yeah. We need a separate little buried report screen somewhere that's the great people. Because then you can look at it in one go and say, okay, I'm X turns from this and Y turns from that one, and then you know whether you need to you up your investment. Separate screen. Just put a parenthesis yeah, or something, something after after the, the, the how it's presented and put a little clock and a number next to it. There you go. Well, you know what else they did in the in new in the new expansion? They made everything smaller so it all fits on one screen without scrolling. Oh, yes, for the great people, that's a good point. That's like the opposite of what we needed. No, I like it. I don't like. I didn't like having to scroll left and right to see all the great people. Well, I don't either. But if if the choice is between being able to see all the great people and being able to see all the information about some of the great people and scrolling between them, I'd pick the second option. But we still see the same information. Yeah, well... It's just... Well, everybody needs it presented in a different format. The point is, they did it wrong, but at least they did it wrong and they started with the wrong end of the optimization process. 
They should have fixed the problems rather than fixed the look. Yeah, give us the turn count. Don't worry so much about scrolling. How about what the next great person is going to be? Or maybe... I would, go ahead. I would like a system where, like, instead of you just having one great person, like, there were, like, two or three great people that were available each era, and you got to pick which one you wanted for, like, each type of great person. And then once all of those were cycled out, then the next set from the era, or then the set from the next era comes in. So you actually have a choice on who you get. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of like that it's being kind of restricted because some of them are very powerful. I mean... Didn't we, didn't we have that in one of the assists that there were certain great people that if you could select everybody beeline for them? There was yeah. the founding fathers in colonization. Yeah, that too. But that's part of the strategy. I mean, it's the same with like the religious beliefs, you know? Like you're the first person to found a religion. So I take the, the best building and I take the, you know... A belief that lets me buy science stuff with faith, you know? Or you take the, the belief that lets you build the monks, because that's the thing AI always takes first. <laughs> yeah. Well, Every time. Yeah. But I don't see that that would be a problem, because that's the way that other, you know, mechanics in the game already work. But, I mean, at the very least, I would like to know what the next great person is going to be, so I can make an educated decision on whether or not to Yeah, that would be nice. Because, you know, the next one might be even worse. Like, and, might be the one you're waiting for. Right. It might, or it might be one that I didn't want, especially in the case of like the artists and stuff, because like those, the theming for like great works of art is so hard because there's so many different types of them. Like it'd be nice to know if the next one is going to give me a sculpture or a painting, you know? Oh, by the way, can we get more great artists that make sculptures, please? Yeah, I think there's only like two. There's, I think there's two. Just Donatello? And Michelangelo, I think, maybe. There's um, one that does two regular works of art and a sculpture, which I find quite humorous, but also very frustrating because... You have you get three sculptures from one person. How the heck are you supposed to theme all of that? Yeah, I, I miss the the way that theming worked in Civ Five, where you could where there were different types of theming bonuses, where you could have a museum that was all themed to be one civilization or your civilization or you know all from one era. And the, the great work great work trading in Civ Five was very good. Yeah, I feel like the the Civ Six great work system is a regression. And not the... yeah, you can trade them in a deeper screen, which is kind of useless because you don't see the information you need to trade great works in that screen. Right. It expects you to know everything already. Well, I do like that you can trade the great works for, you know, things other than other yes. great It yes. is nice to be able to buy them with gold or trade a luxury or something like that. Like the more That's things true. that you can trade with the AIs, I think the better because it gives you more opportunities to improve relations with them which is you know, a problem, especially early on with Civ Five, was there were so many ways to piss off the AIs and not enough ways to make them like you. And that's much less of a problem with Civ Six. But yeah, it, it would be nice if the trade screen gave you more information about what the heck you were buying and selling. Absolutely. Speaking of screens, we have a new screen, the resource screen. Oh, that's right. We didn't mention that one. The expansion will add a new resource screen that shows all the civs in the game and what they have available to trade resource wise so no the more no more luxury and strategic yes but the problem is it's kind of ugly <laughs> <laughs> that's my opinion as we've established before they're very bad at making uis i mean it's all big and stuff i don't like it. this is what we need phil here to tell you about Firaxis and their ui <laughs> i would have preferred a sheet i mean a worksheet when you have clearer cells and stuff. I don't like the the way they did it. Anyway. I can't just conjure it up in my mind right now, but it, I don't remember it looking nice. It's just band of resources. It's very, um, very big. 
Phoenician gold. Uh, well, hey, that's an appropriate name because we're talking about naval sieves. Hey. Uh, hey, started a topic. Did a, Dan's favorite thing, a poll. But polling for the new naval sieve because it says this, that seems to be one of the major bottlenecks for new sieves. Many regional influencers were thalassocracy. Thalassocracies. Yeah. God, that's an awkward It's a hard word, word to say. Uh, yet the developers seem to be keeping naval additions to a minimum in expansions. So assuming Portugal is inevitable and the devs don't do a massive navy expansion, the, there's not a lot, many slots left for naval. So here's a poll. Who wants these? And you picked... Ireland? Uh, yeah, how is Ireland in the naval <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait uh, a minute. I was the most interested by Haida, but everybody knows that primitives can't build boats, so... <laughs> <laughs> In the Hawaii's in the pole, but you well culturally there's no. I'm think I'm it sorry. I'm thinking of a lot with the, the Maori. Yeah, that's what I was going for because I was I was going to say they're related to Phoenicia, but then oh Polynesia, wrong yeah. side of the world. Yeah, yeah, they're culturally related, and we've already got that. And they they when they gave us Polynesia last time, they did give us Kamehameha. Kamehameha. The capital for Polynesia was Honolulu. So yeah. Yes, that's what I was going for. <laughs> uh, I think another thing that would really help with um, with a lot of these naval uh, civilizations is if just the maps were more likely to generate interesting, like, island chains and, like, really small continents. You know, something like the British Isles or, you know, Pacific Islands and island chains like Indonesia, like, along with actual continents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't have a map that's a good mix of what Earth is like, which is a combination of continents and island chains. Right, because so, it's, so right, yeah. it's so many naval sieves in the game just start on the coast of a large continent, and it's always just more effective to go inland than it is to, yeah. you know, go out onto the seas. I also think that a lot of the naval sieves are really kind of naval, but not really. They're more focused on uh, not Trade or, naval. Yeah. yeah. And it I think that true, it would like, be nice if there was a, a sieve that was actually focused on ocean tiles or, you know, like building an, a district in the water or something right. like that. And, and especially now that continents, like single land masses are broken up into multiple continents. So like, you know, England's old power of building, you know, getting free stuff for building on other continents. Like you didn't have to actually sail to do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. You just had to cross a river suddenly it's another continent. Well, free right. it well, for but, me. Which is fine. Like, I'm not complaining about that way that the map works. But, you know, like, yeah, we need some islands and island chains and archipelagos and stuff like that mixed in with the continents. I think Civ Five had a really good map script called, it was called Continents Plus or something yeah. like that. And it yeah. did a lot of that stuff. And it's... the fractal map sometimes will do that really well. But you also end up with a lot of those, like, annoying snaky continents that I don't like. So I don't play the fractal maps as mm -hmm. much on Civ Six as I did on, on Civ Five. But yeah, bring back the Continents Plus and the Pangea Plus maps that were in Civ Five that did create island chains off the coast. And then... Mm -hmm your navels and make sure you spawn the naval sieves there right and then yeah you would actually have to build navies for those mm -hmm. sieves i think we can all agree that map gen in civ 6 has always been not great and still isn't yeah. great H having a sieve that really focuses on water resources i, th I think is something that isn't in civ 
six that should be there. Yeah, well, just navies in general have always kind of felt underdeveloped in the Civilization games. Well, that's true as well. So, like, you don't really have the the intercontinental, you know, empires that you used to have, and trade along water, like, is always, like, superficially better than trade along land, but not, like, mechanically different. I think that's just different. It's been a long... I, I was about to say a long time since I played Beyond Earth, but I actually didn't really play that much at all. But my recollection is that Beyond Earth had a pretty good system for that mm-hmm. just... well and and also i really like civ 4 and civ 4 colonization had the privateers that had hidden nationality so you could attack fun. other players without being at war with them which meant that if you were and that would be great with like civ 5 and civ 6's trade route mechanics because you'd actually need to build navies to protect those trade routes from privateers but since privateers don't have hidden nationality anymore, you have to actually be at war with the Civ in order to plunder their uh, water trade routes. So it just kind of like makes it moot. Well, there's also the issue that in Civ Four you would see a person has gained a great general, but I'm not at war. How did that happen? Oh, you know, with all with all the good horde civs that are in this game, it would be fun to have a pirate themed Civ outside of Norway. But like, how would that or... work out? Or alternatively, actually, like, break up the barbarians into, like, different tribes and groups and factions and, like, actual pirates be one of those, you know, quote-unquote barbarian factions. So you just want barb cities again? (laughs) Yeah, kind of, maybe. The list shows Ireland, and they chose Ireland because Grace O'Malley. Right. Oh, pirate. I gotcha. The pirate history. Yeah, I think pirate civs would be fun. I think that... That the bonuses are always on land, and just make a make a good make a good ocean save. Yeah, I was really kind of hoping that um, was it the Netherlands? I think that was in in Civ Six. They had that ability to build the uh, polder, right? I was really yeah. hoping that one of their uniques would be that they could build stilt cities, like you could actually build the city center mm. tile, or maybe even districts on coastal water tiles that were adjacent oh. to land, right? So all of your districts could be out on the water instead of just the water park. That would be bad, though, because they wouldn't get any adjacency bonus. Maybe. I mean, you could modify the adjacency bonuses that they get. And I mean, at that point, you're talking about like a totally different rule set for that sieve, which yeah. would be overly complicated. But, you know, there there could be like mountains on the coast that you would build your campuses next to and stuff like that. So you, you could still get adjacency bonuses. But the way that it would probably work out in practice is your best adjacency bonuses would be on land. So that's where you would build. Yeah. I mean, after we've had Beyond Earth, after we've had... Rise and Fall, where you have that Governor Leong who does the aquaculture thing. It just makes sense that they just they should make a sieve that's really focused on building in water. But we'll get there, I guess, one day. Yeah, I was really hoping to get that from the Maori. Yeah, yeah. Instead, it's just you start on the ocean. There you right. go. Yeah, could have been a little different. I mean, you I get agree. like I think they give you like a culture bomb or something like that from uh, improving coastal or water resources, and that's like about it as far as water-related bonuses go. Yep. Wee, I got more ocean tiles. <laughs> right. But, but I don't have any resources for the ocean. Why did Why did you do that to me? Right. And what I'm just going to do with the ability to cross oceans from the beginning of the game is just find other land masses and settle there and then go inland. But there's no water resources. Why would I settle there? Yeah, well... <laughs> They, they did do a, a few extra, like the amber and the turtles and stuff like that are... are yeah, that's true, that's and true. And the, the, the addition of the reefs... Yeah, the reefs, did, nice. 
did make water tiles a little bit better. And at least they don't have, you know, natural wonders spawning four tiles away from the coast where you can't possibly. <laughs> Hi, Krakatoa. Back. Oh, but I yeah. miss Krakatoa. Krakatoa would be great now because it would be a volcano that causes like five yeah. tiles of death. And what would be really cool about that I is create, uh, you, could, create land. you could. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You could make it so that Krakatoa actually, every time it erupts, it like generates another land tile adjacent to it. It could be the new Bermuda Triangle. You sail your fleet by Krakatoa and it explodes. <laughs> Whoopsies. <laughs> Where'd your fleet go? Random events. Phil's favorite. Man, is he still here? Ah, uh, he may be having problems. I think uh, so. This happens every time he's... There he oh, is. I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> oh, well, I said were, random events and you didn't start screaming, so... You were, you were talking about the Bermuda Triangle and you didn't say anything, so I thought you were off the call. <laughs> but you didn't hear me. It's all right. Oh, oh, you yeah, you must have been too far away from the mic. Dang it. So yeah, I, I agree. More na naval sibs. Get on it for access. More naval sibs. We've asked. The people have asked. And well, naval, again, naval is actually AI wise better than it was before. So yeah, they might actually be able to do a proper naval attack and invasion now. Sort of like how when we had Beyond the Sword and suddenly naval invasions. <laughs> It's like, whoa, 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 the AI learned a new trick. And of course, if they were generating more little islands and stuff like that, then there'd be more features along in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't just be this big open, you know, swath of space where, you know, zone of control and stuff like that kind of becomes irrelevant. There actually were, you know, island chains and archipelagos where you could actually make bottlenecks, you know, and fortify your fleets there in order to use zone of control and bombardment that would uh, also improve them considerably because right now the biggest problem with navies is yeah i build a few ships and the other player just sails around them it's it's i think it's still ridiculous that like civ 6 types of maps is still like 25 percent or so like of what was in civ 5 that said a lot of it was was paid dlc maps but let's right and it would also help to have more like bays and like inland seas and things yeah. like that where like your early naval units that can't cross ocean like can actually you know cross an inland sea you know like the mediterranean and do something because the big problem with the early naval units is like you take any damage at all and you got to sail them 30 turns <clears throat> back to uh your territory yeah. to heal them yeah that really sucks I like, thought... i've pre i've promote or i've uh pitched on several occasions that just all naval units should be able to heal when they're adjacent to land. I think that would help a lot. You can't tell me there's not trees inland they could cut down to fix the ship. Right. Or just, you know, do something about, well, I don't know, I was about to say do something about having to wait until a renaissance to get into the ocean, but I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's not a problem. If, I had a, if there was a wonder that let me into the ocean without needing to have renaissance units, I probably would build it. That was the uh, Great Lighthouse in Civ 3, I think. Well, and Civ 3 also had a cool mechanic where you could actually move your naval units out into the ocean, like, before researching the technology, but there would just be a chance that it would sink. Yeah. Oh, really? So that, was, that was also kind of... Well, true. But <laughs> yes. what, they could, what they could do instead is do something like um, Civ 5 had uh, Carthage, had that unique elephant that could go over mountains, and it would just take damage when it yeah. ended its turn there. So do something like that, where every turn you end on an ocean tile, like, you lose, like, 10 or 20 hit points. Oh, yeah, even in, I think it was one of the Civ Five expansion scenarios, uh, you got, like, scurvy for um, having boats every tw every turn or something like that. I don't remember exactly how that worked. Was that the New World, uh, Conquest of the New World in Civ Five? I think so, where you got scurvy and were <laughs> losing uh, damage on boats. Yeah. yeah, and then you just have, like, civs like, you know, Norway or Denmark or Vikings or, you know, whatever it is in, in 
any given version of Civ would just have like an you know ability that would either negate that penalty or like reduce it. Like you only take five hit points of damage instead of ten or twenty. Naval could be more fun. Yeah, I always get excited when I get to like the industrial or the Renaissance and industrial era, and I can start getting my frigates out, and then you know eventually like battleships and submarines. But then I just never get to use them. Yeah, because there's no one to fight. Because no one wants to build naval units. Oh, I got all those naval units, and no one wants to play with me. Yeah, like at best, my battleship is just a seagoing uh, bombard artillery <laughs> for getting cities that are within two tiles of the coast. Yeah, I should not be getting excited for frigates and equivalents thereof just because I can bombard a city down in like two turns. Yeah, bring back hidden nationality for privateers. Have an actual pirate civ or pirate barbarians that you know are actually a legitimate threat and just make coastal resources and coastal trade more valuable and mechanically engaging. And then we could have Grace O'Malley as a great admiral. Barry Carsail. Call in today. In North America, the number is 301-637-7659. That's 301-637-POLY. In Europe, 44121288-7659. That's 44121288-POLY. The only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. For more information on Polycast, our sibling shows, or about Polycast in general, log on to the series' official website at thepolycast.net. I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling through this thread quickly and they're talking about the Polar Vortex episode that we had last week where it got super cold. Or it wasn't no, last week, it was the week game. before. This has been episode 331 of The Polycast. This is Canis Albanus saying thank you very much and have a good day. And we also have with us our Makalua. And I, I haven't even finished my coffee yet. Well, this was a fast podcast. Yeah. And Grimvek. Yeah, we nuked it. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Mega's Bears fan was also here, but he has to go train his dog. Yep. Record date, February 9th, 2019. Civilization 4, 5, and 6 clips. Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright The Polycast at thepolycast.net.